So it looks to me like you left music for a few years while the industry was shifting. Um, is B- BYG Music what brought you back? And, and what did you do there? Well, actually, what brought me back, so I was at Kaiser for eight years. Kaiser Permanente is a healthcare company. And here's the real interesting part. I did not want this job and everyone knew it, but they pursued me really hard because, you know, my background is eclectic. So I took it and I thought, well, let's change healthcare. And so by doing some of that work, we had a a small brand team inside that we ran. It was 164,000 employees. And I would have to match wits with any of them that were doing anything with branding. Branding also includes things like, you know, nutrition in their case and all these like, you know, experiences you could be building. And I was like, hey, what if we put music in every single touch that we do? Let's start having music be the part of the brand. So we built out um, with our team, we built out a whole mnemonic experience with Rumblefish. Some of you probably know Rumblefish now. So I hired them and they helped us work through what it could sound like as a brand. Um, And then we actually created playlists. When I would do like the Nike Women's Marathon event and think of an activation, everyone was running around upbeat music. And I was like, how about if we mellow everybody out at the end of the race? Or we do like some kind of a, you know, yin and a yang, right? Like a a meditative session, uh, music that lowers your, you know, your heart rate. So we did those types of things and it became very transformative for the brand. I did concert series called Music Inspires Health Across America. And I would see little kids come up and they're like, you know, 11, 12, 14, going to see a show. And they're like, I'm a Kaiser baby. So that was what changed my mind. And I wanted to go back into music. After eight years of that work, which was remarkable, it was innovation. We designed, I mean, I worked with IDEO and Frog, huge innovation companies. But at the end, it was the music that really connected with audiences and I thought, I really want to help these artists who, at the time, 2005, like, they had no knowledge of their worth, right? So that's when I was like, oh, I can help these people. And by 2013, when I left Kaiser, that was my full-time thing. The first thing I did was try and help big music, BYG, big music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought the platform was really interesting. But from there, I actually went and did so many... I mean, I started just managing bands at that point, And that became like a really big, frankly, that's my life, right? It's like, you want these people to succeed. So big was one of the, um, one of the original reasons why I got back involved in it. And the um, man who owns that, Chris Sharma, uh, is the Rolling Stones engineer. So it was a really interesting experience, again, like just seeing how we can get, you know, these, everybody just wants to help, right? So that was what that was. How can we get brands to be more, you know, involved and leveraging artists for their voice. So it was, it's still in the startup mode, um, but it was definitely a learning experience for me. Very cool. And what led you to become head of marketing at Sugaroo Records? So that was another one too, where I had, you know, been pitching Sugaroo. Sugaroo is an established, um, at the time, I think it was 20 years, 21 years of a sync agency. And, you know, when you're doing the work, like you were just telling everyone to do, part of that process is get friendly with sync companies so that they listen to your artist's music. And that's a really hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. So Michael Nieves over at Sugaroo is a fantastic person. He gives you direct feedback and he'll, you know, just tells you all sorts of things that, you know, like what he can do, what he can't do. It turned out he really liked one of my artist's albums, Ruby Bell and the Sulfonics. And so we worked with him. And through working with Ruby, we realized 
she has an incredible range, even though she's a soul artist. So we started working on a platform where you know you could bring artists together and do a writing camp. From that writing camp, we built out Sugarroo Records. So that's how that all became a thing. And my all of my artists were a part of that. Jessica Childress at the time we had that everybody just kind of come in. Hamish Anderson and we just would build out songs that were designed really more for sync. So you know you're when you're writing as your own artist, you know, you're writing to fulfill your own feelings and what you want to say or express yourself. But when you're writing for sync, it's a lot like advertising where you design a creative brief and you work to the strengths of what the brief is, right? So you now know you need to write it with a certain attitude, certain beats per minute, perhaps, you know, just really get in the head of where it's going to potentially go. So we did that work together and created a tremendous library that still gets syncs. I mean, it's like incredible. So it's still going. And uh, yeah, it's been really fun. I actually stepped down three years ago, two years ago, um, just to stay focused on what I'm doing. But yeah, it was great building that out. And every artist that was included has had some some transformational study, like, like, Fiscally, you know, financially because of it. Like you walk into a room with one or two other people, hopefully just one other person, if you're really good, you come out with a fully formed song and it goes straight into licensing. And within months you see and, you know, you get the money from it. It's really amazing that whole writer's camp experience. If you can have a chance to be a part of that and it has an outlet associated with a sync company or an agency, uh, it's very valuable. And you get to own your masters and the publishing too. I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. So it was a very friendly experience for sure. I bet. Yeah. You've been founder and, and chief marketing officer of your brilliant company, Jewel Concepts, for over 20 years. How has well, your yeah. work evolved over this time, over this century, really? Well, that's the thing, right? It's like it went from being a branding agency, like where I was always doing like Herbalife and the branding part. And then I once I once I hit that 2013 mark, I switched it everything over to if you're not coming to me with some kind of a music component, I don't even want to get involved. Like it's just not interesting. So that was the point where I thought, let's bring in the big musics, let's bring in all these, you know, companies that really need to figure out, you know, play network, which is an overhead real um, uh, retailers. So they do all the music in in um, in Ralph Lauren and all sorts of places, you know. So it's like I got to help advise those people on how to, you know, try and you know that intersection of music technology, and ideally some form of branding or health. Mm -hmm. That's really where this started. And now I'm so proud. Like we've been able to, I honestly, I'm impressed with the people who come because I'm just so grateful that they're trying to do this work in the world. Mm -hmm. So the work that we're doing um, right now with sound medicine for the binaural Mm -hmm. beats um, has just been really transformative for me because I've had to learn you know, so much about what the brain, it's a neuroscience piece, right? So it's just great to get to learn new things every day. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So for those that don't know, what is Water and Music and how did you get involved? Water and Music is another one of those things. So, okay. So I do obviously a lot of mentoring and I do, I love advising, you know, mm-hmm. companies. Um, and at the time I was, it's just so interesting. I was, uh, I had done Uncut Jewels as a podcast. I was really, you know, pulling through all of these things on my own. And then I don't know, you probably have had these experiences, Emily, where every once in a while you just are like, I just need a pause. I need to think differently for a while. And so I've 
I paused in, I think it was March of last year. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I, I want to learn something new. I, I need, like the industry started feeling sluggish, as you probably remember. It was like the, no one really knew what was going on still. And it was like a lot of the same conversations we were having from 2020, 2021. So I just popped my head into water and music. I uh, had been a, it's a newsletter originally, and I'd been reading it for a long time. And I don't know if, like, you remember when I said, like, when I left Kaiser at 20 in 2013, I was like, what do I really want to do? And I was like, music technology. I did not want to leave that innovation space because I feel like it's a really important one to keep nimble and learning and moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so water and music felt like an intersection, music and technology, music and innovation. So I really thought, oh, let me see what's going on in there. And I started, you know, joining the um, the sort of get to know yous. Like everybody was still trying to figure things out from 2020. And I had met more and more people during water and music at that time. And finally, uh, there was a project going on for a Web3 Academy, whereby they were teaching, you know, we were kind of like group thinking what Web3 could be at the time. Yeah. Um, so it was 2021. I guess that was 2021. Anyway, so yeah, we had the whole experience. And through that academy, which is the reason why Water Music is a research intelligence network. So it's sort of like this like learning network together, you're learning. And I just enjoyed the mindset of people, you know, from the Netherlands, from Spain, like from all over the world. Everyone's in this one Discord group. And then, you know, we kind of did this academy where we got to know more of each other. And through that process, I started thinking about where my artists could fit in. And I realized many of them, most of them don't. They just don't fit in this space. But they could eventually. And what's more important is that I feel compelled by it, right? I see you know, these are times where you realize, like, again, history repeats itself if you're not careful, right? I remember in the 90s trying to explain to people what, why you need, why does Blue Cross of California need a web presence? Try explaining that to people. Like, they literally were like, what is www. internet thing? We don't know. And they're like, okay, well, it's the future. All of a sudden, 20, 30, I feel the same way now. I'm like having the same conversations about, you know, the on-chain experience about the metaverse, about any of the AI things that are going on. It's experimental, but it's there's something here that you can see the value in. So water music became a bit of a breeding ground for some of us who just wanted to tackle things. And I yeah. was a writer and I love interviewing people. And I became a moderator, you know, uh, to interview and inter- you know, research. Like, it was great. I'm enjoying it. I love it so much. It's so fun. But through that work, we got to do, like, some really interesting, very cutting, or if not bleeding edge things. So I'm having the left and the right brain, right? The creative pieces coming from all the work I do with Hamish and Ruby Vell and Sulfonics and those guys. But I'm getting to be slightly creative in this other brain of where technology exists and how you can use it and what are the fundamentals of that. And so it was really a very... um, it's been a really rewarding experience for me through that process is how I also found out about the Navak Collective mm-hmm. and Studio Space. So it's interesting to see how, you know, you're you're hearing about things in these environments. People are on the Discord. People are over here. And then you start to realize, like, well, there's a tremendous amount of quality music being produced. Like, the Navak Collective is an incredible, with, with, like, like you're transforming the world around you as you do it. Everything they do is based around, you know, helping women 
and others, but really I think they're very focused on women in the diaspora countries that they believe are important to make sure that they find themselves foundationally and have the education to be able to produce music and do whatever they want to do with it. So I I kind of just got drawn into that. And again, it was all through research, like just learning about them, interviewing their founders and hearing more about why, why they do what they do. And then listening to the music and watching their artists go, you know, Annika Rose, you know, I met her last summer and she's gone from like zero to like top of the chart. You know what I mean? She's, it's yeah. all web three and they're very dedicated to it. So I just like, I guess the people in it are really interesting to me. And that, that was, I mean, hundred percent coming out of water and music. Yeah. The people wow. are great. Yeah. Amazing. And that's a great segue of exactly what I want to talk about next, but I just want to echo what you said. Um, you know, when what we now call web 2.0 is kind of happening or maybe we're, maybe it's web 1.0, but whatever that, that kind of late nineties, uh, com time, um, I was in high school. I was on the swim team. And I remember like our like younger hipper coach who was in her 20s was like, what's this WWW stuff I'm seeing on like commercials and things, you know? And so I totally agree with you. It's like the stuff we're about to talk about next, you know, Web3, the metaverse, NFTs, all of that, like sounds new and weird. And, and what is this? But like it will become ubiquitous where hopefully our parents are still around, but like our parents use social media now. They, they use Instagram, they use Facebook, right? They're not like, what, I mean, they're like, what is the thing about some things? But um, yeah, I just want to echo what you said there. I totally agree. Yeah. And it, like I said, it's like, I'm so grateful to get to see this arc. Yes. Like this is the next generation of that story. So. It's so true. So let's get into this because to me, this is the next phase of distribution. We covered what distribution kind of is now, although mm-hmm. what we're about what what we're about to talk about is now too. But it's also, I think, where where things are going. So mm-hmm. first, you know, we we touched on the you know we alluded to this a little bit, but what is Web three? Yeah, I'm well. What is Web three? I mean, Web three is basically a term for community, and I know that it like that's the new C word, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. But I again, I I I would encourage you. I would encourage anyone who listens to this, don't follow hype cycles. Follow yeah. your truth. Community has always been at the core of what I've done. When you're building these things, you want people to care enough that they want to talk to each other. You know what I mean? That's community. So when you're doing Web3, it's a way to take the barriers away and allow you direct access. Again, know your consumer, direct access. These are all very fundamental things. They just have a different name on them. Mm -hmm. So I think Web3, when I think of Web3, I think of people who are progressive and open-minded, who own their own masters, who own their own publishing, who own things and understand the value of intellectual property. It's an IP-based drive. Like, that's just it. Take apart whatever you want, like the the hype cycle pieces, but it's on-chain, it exists, and it permeates society. So think about it. Like, I have all my vinyl. I've got all sorts of rock t-shirts. I, you know, all the concert tickets. I mean, I have bags of concert tickets I've gone to over the years. In my mind, the Web3 slash NFT experience could replace that and allow it to have sustainability online forever. As you know, I mean, for what it's worth, like you could say what you want, but there's always going to be some version of this because that existed way before the hype cycle, too. People were in it. So it's a matter of prioritizing what's important to you. And as an artist, I just feel like there's no reason for you not to have some presence there as long as you own it, right? Like, I'm not saying people should be 
like, I don't know about the fragmentation of a song, like having ownership of a song. Mm -hmm. I would say have it be where you're like, artwork, your videos, like things like that. So anyway, Web3 basically is another word in my mind for an on-chain community. Yeah. And um, can you, you know, what do you mean by on-chain? Can you expand a little bit more on that? Sorry about that. Yes. So on-chain, meaning it exists on Ethereum or some form of a network. You know, I know there's like Solana and Polygon and all sorts of things too. These networks are uh, they can be purchased on like, you know, exchanges. Uh, so that their value, the dollar, if you will, is a Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like, you know, that's in an on-chain experience, which means that, you know, you have a hundred percent transparency. You can see everything on chain. So like mm-hmm. I have a wallet, you can see everything that's in my wallet. Like that's actually how, you know, if someone's really invested in this world is like, are you buying NFTs? Are you doing things with people? Are you involved? And, you know, you know, in some community, most of these things that I'm interested in, um, allow, like, if you will, a ticket to a concert to exist on the chain, right? On Ethereum, then you can verify that it actually is in your wallet. And that's the piece where it's like, it takes away, you know, everybody. It's just you and the artist connecting and saying, yeah, this is permission-based. So it is an ultimate level in my mind of like some sort of permission-based marketing. Yeah, I totally agree. And you are really the perfect ambassador to communicate this because you've got that bag of ticket stubs, right? It's like you understand that world. Um, But, you know, you're... No, (laughs) I I look at this. I have have an album. I've loved David Bowie since I was... I don't even, it was 1977 when I first did the music, 1979, I fell in love. I have an album, photo album right next to me that is literally all of the things I ever bought of David Bowie, all of the receipts of all of the vinyl and the CDs and the t-shirts over the years. I kept that thing and I cherish it. It's the weirdest thing to admit on camera, but I'm like, I want to make those in to NFTs. And that's the project. You know, it's like, wow. I love that this exists because at least maybe I don't have to carry this vinyl thing around with me everywhere. Totally. Well, we've got to get you to the Tower Lab space the next time uh, you're in New York because there's like, you know, vinyl, there's like an old uh, Tower Records, like newspaper. Um, what do you call that? Like stand, I guess. Um, like Yeah. A fr- the- yeah a, there's <laughs> vinyl. There's, you know, if you can see this wall, wall behind us. So I can um, totally, I'm so jealous. Like I said, FOMO, <laughs> massive FOMO today. Well, come visit, um, you know, next time you're here. Absolutely. And when you're describing what Web3 is, that it's, you know, progressive rights holders, you know, community, that's us. I think that's just about everybody in this room. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, here's the thing. It's getting a really bad, like, news cycle right now. I actually never liked the new, I mean, I never liked the news cycle that was coming out initially because the NFTs that were coming out were like, they're art, which is great. And I love the art. I think if you're a pure artist and you did like that painting I made, I would love to put that on an NFT. I did my very first painting. I actually made my own NFT so that I could see what it felt like because I thought, well, I can't ask people to do this if I'm not understanding what it means. And again, it's just, I sold 10 that unlocks 10 very specific experiences, but for the most part, it's just art. It's just art. It's another way to do something that we've been doing tangibly uh, in real life. So I I definitely feel like if you're going to get started and you own something, just test it and try it and see. And even if it's not, don't overpromise. Like people who are like, I'm going to do this NFT and it's going to do this, 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 and this. Mm. 
No, just keep it simple. Keep it very, very simple. And frankly, like I said, know your worth. If you're designing or creating something interesting, it's just yet another way for people to engage with your merch. It's pretty fun, actually. And and if you're really talented at creating community and you have one that's already happening, then there's no reason for you not to do it because that's the whole point is to connect people and reward them with something that is of you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to dig in on NFTs in a second, but you know, generally speaking, how do you think Web3 will revolutionize music distribution for artists, especially those that own and control their rights? Well, I think it already has. I think there's a tremendous amount of people like Latasha, who I actually worked with at Sugaru. She did a song for us and I watched her go off. And cre- I don't know if any of you know Latasha, but she's like the queen of the of music Web3 right now. She cool. works with um, Zora. She's got her own thing going on. She's incredible. But I watched her literally go from like this artist who in Web2, she could do the things. She was making money. You know, mm-hmm. she was doing everything. But Web3 like came and supported her. So she's she's out there making, articulating this and explaining it to people. Mm-hmm. And that is part of this process. You actually onboard your fans in your own way to this experience. And so if you look at her career now, it's like she's untouchable. She had a career before in Web 2. She still does. She still earns from those sinks. She's still, no one can take away the sinks that she had. And you can always see the spikes in those numbers on the traditional formats. But on the other side, she's become an innovator. And also she inspired the whole new generation of artists you know, just to try and to experience things and to commit to it. So I'd say she's the perfect example of someone who, you know, like I said, I've watched her go from web two to web three. And now she's just, I mean, she's everywhere. You should really look her up, Latasha. She's incredible. I will. I'm excited to learn more about her. Um, She sounds like it'd be a perfect artist um, to use smart contracts if she's not already. So she is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so you have to use a smart contract. When you're on when you're on chain, you, the only way to do that really is a smart contract. So you have like each of these um, when you're releasing. So as a distributor, if you think about like um, the Sound XYZ is probably a great. You, I'm sure many of you have probably heard. If you haven't heard of Sound XYZ, you should check it out. Um, and you can check out my uh, my um, gallery on there too because it's really fun to see who what you buy and who is purchasing, you know, mm-hmm. the music files. But anyway, Sound XYZ is a, there are so many of them out there now. Some of them are curated. Some of them are just, you can put your music up on there just like your DSP. Most of them though, when you're getting involved in it, you would want to create a sense of presence before you launch. So it is like a traditional thing. You just start going, you know, you start the build Ideally, you let these people know about the music before. You let them hear about it. So like like you were talking about when you're even releasing to the DSPs, having like a little kernel, like a little nugget for people to come and join you beforehand, the real fans, that's probably the best gem of a Web3 experience is people mm-hmm. can actually do this before you can even be a part of a, you know how they have like the pre-order campaigns on Web3 now, you know, each of these distribution networks, they allow not not the regular DSPs, let me be clear, Sound XYZs and those Zora and all the things that do art and music. You can actually have a tier 
that's just for people who have previously purchased something from you. So it wow. is unlocking. It's amazing. Like you, yeah. you don't have to, I don't have to wait for everybody. I can get it and own it first. I can comment first. I can do all of these things that I like to do before anybody else can. Talk about taking care of your super fans. That's incredible. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. I love yeah. it. Um, so just to slow down for a second, what are smart contracts and how can they benefit artists? So a smart contract is typically, I think now they're written into backends of these platforms. So you just, usually you're using what they have, but if you own your music, like if you're part of something and you wanted to put it into, um, you know, another sort of, if you will, collective, yeah. then you work on a smart contract with them that actually identifies who owns, who owns what. And I mean, it's all then goes on chain. Once it goes on chain, it's indelible. You can't change it. Like it's just, it's literally ownership identified on chain. That's genuinely what it means. And when you're looking at smart contracts, uh, if you go to Water and Music, we have our own that we've created. That's like a template. Great. And it sort of identifies areas that you should be paying attention to. And there's always something like any legal term, you know, you always want to take a look at it or at least have someone else take a look at it. Yeah. But I'd say those are the ones that, you know, if you can modify it, um, Oftentimes, although in the future, I think it's it's still there's still people who are struggling with this actually happening because the platforms don't enforce it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can identify that there's resale value for people, right. right? So a smart contract allows for the next generation. If this song is sold or your portion is sold, you know what happens then. Um, you know it is very interesting enforcing that, and I'll just say that I'm not an expert at it, but I know I've seen challenges in the resale market. Um, like I said, if the platform doesn't support that, it gets a lot harder for the artist to really make sure that happens. Um, so you just have to watch out. But I, you know, it's tricky. I've actually never, I think I only resold one thing and it was because I got such a crazy offer on it. I was like, well, if you really want it, I have three, you can have one, yeah. you know, kind of thing. But I've never resold my own. I buy things because I like them. Um, and then sometimes I gift them to people who I feel like should really get in, in the space. Like I think gifting an, uh, an NFT or any kind of music experience, vinyl, whatever, T-shirts, they're great to do. But I would say just smart contracts get a little tricky in, in just knowing, like if you're trying to make money off of the resale, it can get a little complicated. But other than that, I think it is a really good experience, just exact on-chain, knowing that you definitively put something out. When you mint something, it goes on-chain. That's just how it goes. So it exists for forever on-chain yeah. on that Ethereum address until it moves to somebody else's address. And that next move is where the question is, am I getting a 10% cut of when it goes? When you buy a vinyl, you don't get the 10% cut of when it goes someplace else. It just yeah. goes out. So I feel like there's like a little bit of a tension. There is a lot of tension, actually, in that resale space. Yeah. Or, or like used books too. Same thing. Every yeah. time I use think about it when you're buying an, may I talk about the NFTs now? Please. Yeah. So like an NFT often is like, you know, a really good case example of that. Like the Navak Collective does these NFTs that are also a, like allowing you to go to the concert that the artist yeah. is having. So you have this NFT, you get on a list, they show the, the code at the door and you walk right in. That's amazing to do. When you're thinking about some of them come with vinyl. Yeah. That gets a lot harder, right? Yeah. Like once the person gets the vinyl from the NFT, how do you ensure that that next person who purchases the NFT actually gets that? So it's like a little complicated in that resale piece, 
But I think the bigger point to the NFT is the reveal of something unique and unexpected for fans. And that's just something any artist can decide at any point. Hey, if you're holding this token or you're holding this NFT, you now can come to my concert tonight or in four weeks or whatever it is. So it's like these pieces exist and you don't have to do anything as a fan. It just comes to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say on smart contracts really quick, like I, you know, it sounds like an artist like Latasha would almost be perfect who's landing sinks, right? And kind of the more, I feel weird saying traditional, but current music industry. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we've talked about like songwriting splits, right? And so I was, yep. I was, you know, taught you guys how to have a conversation, decide on those songwriting splits, and then like throw it in an email or Jessica co-signed, you know, you can work, uh, work with Cosign to put your splits in there. And what I'm getting away from is like, there are definitely still people that will tell you to fill out a split sheet, like literally a piece of paper and sign it. And I was like, well, what if you spill water on it? What if there's a fire or whatever? So I I just feel like smart contracts are so useful for that is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, we all, you know, most people don't even sign those split sheets. It's just a sort of digital experience afterwards. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's important. You know, even if it's digital, any in an email, it still holds up. Most important though, just so you know, is your publishing is going to figure this out. The royalties on the back end, like that can't get, you know, it doesn't go away. But I would say, yeah, um, she's perfect. Everyone who has something, you know, like I said, intellectually IP oriented, you know, it, it's just, it's a smarter way to do things for sure. It just requires a particular partner, right? Yeah. So not everybody's there yet. Yeah. And I think that becomes, um, yeah, like how useful can it be for everyone? You have to really be in the space and know your, know really the parameters of it. Yeah. And wouldn't it be nice if like the performing rights organizations were on the blockchain? Well, they're <laughs> Smart not contracts. happy about this because they're basically not part of the process. And there's a lot of people who are not part of the process. Labels, you know, they really don't like that. You know, it's like very, um, yeah, there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of tension. And I think that they need to figure it out. You know, PROs are really interesting because, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point, imagine if the whole of the, you know, the music experience went to an on-chain world. It does, you do question like, what's that what, what are they collecting on? What are they doing for us? You know, because yep. you don't really need it as much. But, you know, the future is very long. So I would say just be everywhere, right? The yeah. diversification of your music is the key right now. Just make sure, you know, you're not just like a stock market. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just in one thing. You're trying to do as many as you can. Yeah. And um, totally agree. And I'll just say too, it's just like, imagine, you know, you, co- you're an ASCAP writer. You, co- you happen to co-write a song with a BMI writer. You decide I wrote 60%, they wrote 40%. Um, well, what if they accidentally put in 30% and it's just a typo, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know why you'd want to, de- but whatever, I, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. So that's what would be, well, that's what would be so nice about having all the songwriting splits on smart contracts. Cause like you said, it's transparent. Everyone's on the same page. Cause those typos, it could be your man. I mean, I love managers. I was a manager for a long time, but it could be a manager. It could be an intern, whatever makes one little typo in registering yeah. your, your songs with your PRO. And then it's, and then that can be tied up for like 18 months or something. So I just feel like there's so many practical applications for this stuff. Oh, there's so many. I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. I've lost a couple, couple ETH pieces 
<laughs> just from like bad moves that you're just like, oh wait, I sent it to the wrong address. So be sure mm. to be sure to check on the addresses when you're sending things to money wise. But yeah, the smart contracts are like I said, foundationally, they're where we should be moving to. I don't see any reason why we wouldn't have them for everything we do. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't access it with other partners, just to have it there, you know, like it, somebody should get it on chain. I yeah. think it's a good experience. Yeah. And you can create good habits now. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I don't PayPal someone without copying and pasting. Well, first confirming their email, that uh, what their PayPal email address is and then copying and pasting it. Because if you send, you know, if you have one letter wrong and it goes someone else, you, oh, you don't yeah. get it back. Yeah, you don't get this back. Yeah, so yeah. get in that habit, you know, for your for your smart contracts as well. And go to Water and Music if you if you if you guys have access to it. I mean, there's definitely the smart contract there, but you could even like look, I would say too, like think of Sound XYZ. Just look and see because they probably have a lot of um uh resources and templates yeah. for people to follow. It's just once you get it, it's the find the one that works for you and use it. I love it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So you've touched on NFTs. Um, for those that don't know, what's an NFT? A non-fungible token. Um, and you must be hiding under a rock if you don't know <laughs> what they are. <laughs> well, we do have listeners in 140 countries. Um, okay. I'm just saying a- it's made so yeah. much news that it's almost unbearable. Like, I yeah. think that's the problem is like, it's just got such a silly hype cycle around it. But right. stay focused. Stay focused on utility. Yeah. As a manager, you focus on utility. What are we doing here? You know, like, how can we unlock unique experiences? Oh, also, Web3 and NFT, not about scale. It's not. It's about sustainability, but it's not about having millions of fans. It's about literally like hundreds, maybe a thousand people who you really know are going to show up and be there for you. They're part of your team. I did this research project with Water and Music and we met, I met, we just released it in January, Mm -hmm. February. Um, And I met uh, and interviewed 22 fans in the Web3 experience and what their experiences were like. And at the end, all 22 fans and subject matter experts the one reason that they got involved is because they love the music of the artist. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that they want more of, guess what? The music from the artist. So it's just like, it doesn't matter where you are. You know, it's about the music. Make sure you yeah. do really great music. Involve your, you know, what we learned is like when they buy an NFT, it's yeah. kind of a, a bonding experience between you and the fan, right? But it's also a bonding experience between the fans once they get into your Discord or they're on your Twitter space or they're in the private chat. They connect. They're talking. They're like, hey, when are you going to the next show? Or what are you doing here? Or can you meet up here? That's the community value. And that's why I am a believer in it. Even if it's small, it does matter because, I mean, for what it's worth, when you're building these, you know, emerging artists and independent artists, you just want people to show up. And if you have, you know, 10 people telling people about it, it just cascades outward, right? They're not going to always be there at the same time, but it is a really interesting experience to have people genuinely there because they want to build with you. Mm -hmm. And that's where community moderators come from. That's where all sorts of sales come from. I mean, it's just like, you know, referral programs. I mean, this, this is where it becomes more like a marketing experience, but it's not like, hey, buy my music. Hey, buy my music. Hey, it's more like, hey, I've got this. If you're interested, here's what I'm doing. And I'm only releasing 10 of them. Or you can mint for today and that's it. You know, it's like these idea, the idea of scarcity is a really important one in Web3. And it can actually hold a ton of value for people who just 
want to say they ha- I mean, it's bragging rights. Like I said, I've got these tickets. I've got these photo albums. Some people are like me and they would just maybe want to have it in their wallet. Yeah. And can you give some, some practical, some, some practical examples of NFTs? Because, um, you know, we have listeners in developing countries. I, I hate to put age on it. We have young listeners, we have older yeah. listeners. So, um, I know like we, a lot of us take for granted, you know, what an NFT is, but if you could bring that to life a little bit. Yeah. So do you remember what I was talking about the Navak Collective? Um, If you look at their site, NVAK Collective, Mm -hmm. um, they actually, they have a foundation as well. So it's a, it's a label and a foundation. The foundation is the giving back and the diasporas of the countries, which is phenomenal. And if anybody has a chance to check it out, I think you should and submit for anything that you feel you might need help. They support mental health, uh, you know, gym memberships, all sorts of things that you can that get in your way of being healthy mm-hmm. um, and being able to be creative. The second part is the label. And with the label, what they've been doing with and one artist in particular, I think is really smart. Um, they've actually working Annika Rose. She, I said it before. She's had, uh, she's been, you know, they withhold all of her shows. She didn't have a show. She just did the web three thing, just showed up, just talked about her experience, talked about her experience, talked about her experience. Every time you would see her talk about the experience, she would say, now you can download my PO app, which is a proof of attendance protocol. Cool. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of that before, but no. there's literally a website called poap.xyz. Yeah. And anytime, like if someone was in the room with us right now, you could go and download the PO app for it. And that proves that you were there. What it also does is reveals you for unlocking on an allow list later. So, so I see her talk a couple times, grab a couple PO apps, then she releases a single. But because I have that PO app, I'm on an allow list. So now I can mint for free her very first whatever, right? Or maybe I mint her song or a music video or a portion of a music video. And as you collect these things, the more you collect, the more up that list you become, right? So then you get to say, oh, hey, like you collected this one thing, they call them like the golden eggs, and you get this very special experience. It's only designed for you. And that's something that the artist decides that's what they want to do with you, which is really a pretty impressive experience because it's so one-on-one. I mean, it's literally one of, right? So then these are just like ideas. You could also have one of those NFTs, you show that you own that or you show that you were a part of the process and you walk into a show without a ticket, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like they'll tell you in advance which PO app or which NFT you should be unlocking and that's how that goes. Sometimes there are things you could do where you purchase like three or four of different things, like one, two, three, four of a series. And once you do that, you can then burn those to collect the top one, right? So it's mm-hmm. like you per- you got these four things, but th- them combined unlocks this bigger experience. So there's just heaps of ways, like, I mean, literally anything your brain can think of, you can explore. And I'm, it's just, it, it's like the old school fan, you know, experience back in the day when you would get like, you would write a letter, like David Bowie would write you a letter back or whatever. I don't know. You know, like there's always sure. fans experiences. If you look at uh, bands like the Grateful Dead and Fish, their entire career is based on just the fan experience. Like, you know, it's just for, for decades, there was nothing. There was no way to know where they were. And yet fans were telling each other. So it's just a matter of getting people to talk on your behalf and that those NFTs start saying like, it's, 
I once worked with TiVo and her whole marketing campaign was, look what my TV can do. And your neighbors are like, I need a TiVo. I need a TiVo. That's what's happening here. Oh, I want an NFT. I want to be a part of that. And that's how you hook them. And then you keep them by just being yourself. You don't have to do anything else. You're not on stage all the time. You don't have to, you know, I mean, there are some artists who do really like that. There's a woman named Violetta Zeroni who she holds daily Twitter spaces with her people just to talk about music and what she's up to. And then they're all talking and doing things too. She's from Italy. So it's very interesting. If you really want to go deep on it, you can. But if you just want it to be a little bit more that you're, you know, you you put this out, your audience actually is supportive of you and they're willing to purchase these things. It can be a really great just direct exchange with uh, a fan. It's so true. And I really want to reiterate what you said about, um, you know, Fish and, and the Grateful Dead, like whether you're into that kind of music or not, like um, that you can learn so much from the jam scene. Like I, I don't listen to a lot of jam music, but I was schooled by jam management companies and I was really taught, um, you know, to build businesses around artists and take care of fans a very close second. So, you know, um, I'm going to use the word hate, like press tends to hate you know, jammier bands, but then they'll sell out multiple nights at Madison Square Garden. How do they nights. do it? Yeah. And it's all, it's all about taking care of the fans. Like I, I worked at a really innovative management company uh, in the early 2000s called Madison House that um, literally had its own travel agency for artists and fans. And that's what developed like jam cruises and, and Bonnaroo and um, really sprouted, you know, all the major American uh, festivals that you see now. In fact, maybe we can get into that with Peter Shapiro, our guest on Tuesday, who produced um, the Grateful Dead's uh, 50th re- uh, anniversary show at, at Soldier Field um, in Chicago, right? Like at a football stadium. So I think there's even a book, like everything I learned about marketing is from the Grateful Dead. So um, I, you know. <laughs> there's definitely lots of books about that. Yeah. Peter is a legend. He's, yeah. I mean, he's been around as long as I have. I remember, I think he started one of the uh, uh, places I used to go to in uh, New York, but you're right. And there's actually another book. All I ever, uh, all I ever needed, I learned from fans and it was like, or I learned from fan. Yeah. So it's like the fan journey. These, these, this is the point to it, right? People talk. This is why I did the fan journey article. And if you have a chance to read it, it's a very dense one, but there's a lot of really interesting experiences in that from fan perspective. Yes. And the, the reason I wanted to tackle that was because everyone's talking about it through the lens of the musician, mm-hmm. right? Or the platform. Yeah. But the person who's buying it is having a unique experience. Yes. And that's the piece where it's like, when you start to understand what, what you're bringing to their world, mm-hmm. you can get a better relationship going with them because you're both in this together and it is a really I don't know just like lifts off all the pretension and you know it's sort of like the behind the scenes peek in the camera behind the camera um from like you know you know Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff it's like they're you're just talking at people this is different this is more intimate and I I'm really a big fan of it I've always felt very connected jam band scenes are interesting I've seen a lot of them over the years I'd say you know Taylor Swift has an incredible fan base clearly Mm -hmm. there's so many I mean people who will just I'll never miss an Erica Badu show never like ever you know because it's the fans Black Mm -hmm. Crows Black Crows fans are crazy. They're fun. Yeah. And it's like, that's what you want to remember. It's about the music. It's about the experience. Yes. And if we can't be there in real life, 
this is a chance for us to at least connect offline. So, I mean, or online. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, so, yeah. you know, you, you alluded to this a little bit, but NFTs kind of got a bad rap for a while. I, I think that, I feel that is shifting, but kind of got a bad rap uh, for a little bit from many fans in the industry as kind of like a cash grab. However, yeah. I feel with any new technology, and, you know, you've definitely shown this, how artists use new technologies is what leads to success, not necessarily just the tech itself. So, yeah. uh, you know, what are some other examples uh, of artists uh, both creating and using NFTs in a creative way? Oh, I mean, I, I feel like the the music video piece alone it was kind of astounding. Latasha sold her music video on a, as an NFT. And, you know, it, I mean, it, she also sold one at Sotheby's. Uh, it was just amazing. Like, they just did a whole thing where they had an auction on things there. So, you know, it's like, to think about it, it's like, the very first time as a manager, someone on a platform asked me to give them our artist's video so that they could put it on their platform, they were going to monetize it. And I was like, no, sorry, it's ours. I don't care. We're not, no. So we put it up ourselves and then they could leverage it. But most of the time, you know, people get, artists get pushback a lot on some things because they don't know how, you know, well, the platforms know how important ownership of content is. Yeah. Artists think that they're just putting it out. So when Latasha decided she wasn't going to put her music video out until she did it as an NFT, mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing. And then when she released it, I was like, I mean, she made very good money off of that. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the highest price at the time of an NFT being purchased. Wow. So like, if you think like, again, you're creating these music videos, you're creating all of these assets, why not put them on and mint them? Why yeah. not just see who wants to own it for real? Like, you know, even if it's free, yeah. again, sometimes you put something up, it's like a 10 second, whatever. You'd have put that on Instagram anyway. You'd have put that on TikTok yeah. anyway. See what it does. And if someone wants to own it, try to do it before you put it up, yes. right? So it's like ownable. Other uses that I thought were really interesting um, might not be like the most, uh, sap, like, I don't know, sexy, I guess. Mm -hmm. But when you lyrics and you're writing something down and you're like putting things out there, you know, having some kind of an experience. Um, I saw like white papers being uh, made it minted, if you will, right? So you can mint your thoughts, mint your tweets, you can mint all sorts of things. Like this is, that's the whole point. And then those things you get to decide if it means anything. So, you know, obviously the more rare it is, the more expensive it would be for people to purchase it. But you know, I always tell people, and this is what Novak Collective did too, they didn't charge anyone for anything for the first six to eight months. Yeah, They just didn't. They did it all for free. They put it out. They're like, you meant this. They minted. People minted. It's just giving back. Then you ask for something. Don't right. ask for it initially. Give back. Give a lot back. Give more than you get. And that community is going to come to you and be like, here, we're going to lift you up when you release yours too. And that is that. a really big piece of, you know, when you think of utility, it is about how do you drive community? Yeah. How do you bring community together? These things are identifiers for community. Yeah. Like do something cool that you might want as a fan. Like maybe this isn't cool, but like, okay, there's going to be some unique exclusive message for me or from me, like in this, right? Kind of like when digital music started, maybe you give away a track and then hopefully they buy the album on iTunes or whatever. 
Yeah. And your podcast, you should be minting your podcast. I mean, for what it's worth, I don't know why you wouldn't (laughs) just be like, I have this episode out, mint it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we've done Twitter spaces and people have done that. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's really just a way to badge you've been there, you know? And again, I don't, you probably wouldn't guess this, but I'm number, I'm in the 1%, the top 1% on Spotify of listeners of Little Wayne from the very beginning, me. And no one knows this except me, because I got a little note from Spotify saying you're a one percenter for Little Wayne. Shocked me. I had no idea, but I love him. So it's like, wouldn't that be nice to be able to say, hey, random whatever, I'm these things that defines me as real, not just me talking, you know, my behavior. And then for Lil Wayne to also know that and be able to contact you or reward you or for the one percenters, right? Right. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I mean, this is where labels fall down big time, you know, because if you're not involved in the space, you don't, you miss out on these opportunities. Are they money makers? Probably not. But like, Mm -hmm. you never know. There might be some fans in there who are really willing to do something crazy, which is why that hype cycle got so nuts. Yeah. Right. I don't like, I don't subscribe to things just because of the news. In fact, if if I hear it on the news, I'm like, dismiss it until I have my own experience with it. And I can tell you what is relatable for it. That's why I can speak so authentically about this. If you take away all of that bad rap, you know, the pudgy penguins and the, you know, what all the, the you know, Kingsman, they, this, the crypto punks, which I'm not sure if any of you heard of, that's one of the things that I think, you know, there's a lot of people who own these and they had a lot of money in them. In the beginning, they were free, right? So now all of a sudden it's the hype cycle around it. Then they built a band out of it called Kingship. Kingship. And everybody lost their mind because they were like, well, these are who, what? And I'm yeah. like, well, think of the gorillas. Like the gorillas totally. were, they were people behind the scenes doing mm-hmm. stuff. It's really not that big of a deal. The, the news cycle just needs something to talk about. Yeah. So focus on you, focus on your use case, focus on your fans and figure out what would be interesting to give to them. What's within your ability to give to them without having to, you know, break the bank or create a whole other work project for you. There's tons of things you're doing already that you could just make very special. Yeah, and it's so much of what we've talked about, except you're applying it in such a modern way, right? Like focus on you, focus on yourself. That's getting your art together, right? Like that's finding your authentic self. Focusing on your fans. We talked about pre-orders. We talked about Patreon, right? And Mm -hmm. also like what you're totally describing with hardcore fans is what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, right? Like instead of just like, okay, day one, my Spotify link's out, yay, right? Like building something really compelling. So they want to give you, I keep saying this, tens of dollars, you know, hundreds of dollars, hopefully thousands of dollars. Like that's, that's what we want. So it's all about taking care of those hardcore fans. And, you know, with what you, you know, um, mentioned with press to tie that back into jam world for a second, like, you know, I've worked with like super hip indie artists that get the most press you can ever imagine ever. Um, but then can barely sell out the Mercury lounge here in New York city, even though selling at the Mercury lounge is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but that's like a 200 capacity venue. Right. But like I said, then there's those jammier bands that like press literally like loathes. And I run a nonprofit called I voted and we work with all different genres and my, our, our super hip publicists will be like, take out those big jam bands. Cause like, you know, press doesn't like that. But again, they're the ones selling out five nights at, at Madison square gardens. Right. And so it goes back to like taking, you know, Creating great art, taking care of your fans, a very close second. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and look, I, like I said, you got to know you who you are first. Yeah. Those jam bands make a lot of money. Yep. 100%. So. 
Yeah, the jam band management company I was schooled at, um, I don't really like the word aughts, but it is what it is, like in kind of the mid aughts, like that's when everyone was getting laid off from labels. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I work here because like we're just selling tons of tickets. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not not getting laid off anytime soon. Uh, No, I mean, are you kidding? One of my one of my very good friends from the 80s. Uh, who had a hit in the 90s is yeah. John Popper with Blues Traveler. Nice. And I mean, everybody knows Runaround. I don't care that Bob Hook bought him a, a house. You know what I mean? <laughs> These guys, they started jam bands. Spin yeah. Doctors. Dave Matthews got his career because of John Popper. So yeah, it's pretty, it's a big world. But you know, for what it's worth, it doesn't even matter what music you're a part of. Like Electronica does very well in this space. Hip hop does really, really well Mm -hmm. in this space. Rap, gigantic. Like, I'm not sure, you know, for, for what it's worth, the reason I also wanted, we did another project about music that's not you know, hip hop and electronica. And there are a lot of artists that are, you know, like I said, that Violetta Zeroni, like she's a, like a classically, you know, oriented singer, guitarist, singer songwriter, who's got heaps of followers and she's just a lark. She's been in movies now. She's doing all this stuff. She's very funny. Again, it's kind of almost like a way to, you know, you'll always do the the DSPs, right? I'm not saying don't, but it's a way to just be, have fun with you, right? What do you want to be doing and, and enjoy that more. And if that, if it's, if it's your vibe and you're already hosting Twitter live streams and you're already hosting, you know, TikTok live stream, if you're already doing anything on Instagram, like just start trying to see what it feels like in this new space. It's so true. I totally agree with that. We're not saying don't be on Spotify. We're saying like combine these things and take care of your hardcore fans. Cause again, that's where you're going to get the most money and probably, um, yeah. And then I don't know when we want to talk about AI, but there's another diversification piece there too. Sure. But, um, you know, before we get into that, you know, you've, you've mentioned a Novak collective a little bit. Um, can you tell Mm -hmm. us more about that work? Cause it sounds incredible. Yeah. I mean, honestly, their work has been so transformative for so many artists and, you know, they're what really, I guess I just admire the foundation piece of it too, right? So it's not just a label, it's a foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, My background at Kaiser, Kaiser Permanente is an actual, like two thirds of it is a nonprofit. And it's, if it weren't a nonprofit, it would be as large as Coca-Cola and would rival them, right? That's how big it is. Nonprofits are really interesting. Foundation work is very interesting to me. I feel like if you look at Warby Parker and Tom's, these are brands Mm -hmm. that are doing something with what they're earning, right? Unlike some people, you know, the world, uh, Jeff Bezos, but anyway, they do so much good you know, that they're like, it's like a one in one, right? Yeah. I love the idea of what Navak is doing because they're they're out there going to the areas that they service, working and finding people at these local levels to identify talent that is struggling, right? They're there, but they're not able to learn. They don't have access to computers. They don't have logic. They can't go to a studio, but they have these, you know, abilities, these capabilities. So it's really just a matter of going in and spending time with them and then training them and teaching them behavioral things. So it's like, again, that's the part that I'm probably the most impressed with is just that how the foundation fuels finding talent as well, right? So they are providing mental health. They are providing services for, you know, like I said, the gym, the nutrition, uh, you know, lessons, learning how to, you know, like like these computer technology pieces that are really, really complicated in some markets to access. So then once they find people, they, you know, they do host writing camps, they're doing all sorts of really interesting things with each other. And then there's three artists that they've 
taken from that, um, Rosalind, Talia, Lude, and Annika Rose. And those three artists are actually representative right now in the label side. Nice. So when you're when I was talking about Annika, she's still working through. They just released an entire gamified world. Talk about, I mean, like they brought in people. They have partners um, from all sorts. I mean, we're I'm a I'm a foundation partner now too. Like it's like we all want to help. They brought in a a person who actually designs games, um, and uh, is a director and has done a lot of CGI work on movies as well. So now they've created. Annika Rose's bedroom. And her bedroom is the new experience point for people who have been purchasing and, and collecting uh, the NFT. So now you'll be able to actually go and connect together this sort of hybrids into, you know, the, the metaverse, these spaces that people are looking to be a part of. Um, and so it's allowing fans, you know, Navat Collective is basically saying, come in, we're creating these worlds you can be neurodivergent, you can be whatever, literally metaverse literally means show up however you are, right? Yeah. Like who you want to be, not who you are, but who you want to be, right? So it's like, um, it's just fun to watch them go through this. But the, but the foundation is the belief in the hum, human being and making sure that they're better, they're doing well. And then you apply that next level of musicality to it. And they're writing with people who have written with like Gnarls Barkley and other major artists, Justin Bieber, you know, these are people who are very high up in the industry yeah. helping to produce their music. So it's got an incredible sense of pop to it or singer songwriter talent. That's just like out the door. So um, yeah, it's been really fun to watch them and be a part of it. But I'd say, you know, why I feel so strongly about them is in the face again of all the adversity of the hype cycles in the market, mm -hmm. they maintain a web three focused presence. Obviously, they have things on Web2. They've got everything on Spotify. And her numbers are great, all of them. In fact, Rosa Lynn, her, she co-wrote a song in a writer's camp that I can't remember what it was. I'm blanking on the name of the song. But it, the publishing alone is what's fueling their foundation. So, you know, these artists talk about a smart contract. Part of their work is that they allow artists to say, I'd like to give back a percentage of what I'm earning to the foundation. So that's sustainable. Like, it just becomes... Yeah, I, I really can't speak highly enough about them. I think they're doing a great job. The more I interview Alex and Tamara, the founder, founders, it's just like mind blowing the where this could go for their artists. Incredible.